uh, continue to be faithful uh, in every aspect of, of your life, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, talk about make, making sure, are we, are we truly living out our faith in all areas of our life? Um, and th- that may sound like a simple uh, thought, um, but I, I think the, the church has, has not emphasized that enough. Uh, maybe not been intentional about that enough. And, and the reason that I say that is, do you feel that the church has much of an impact right now in society around us? Uh, right. uh, the answer is no. <laughs> it just it doesn't. Right? It just, unfortunately, the, a biblical worldview, biblical principles, try, you know, basically evaluating everything that you that you do the beliefs that you hold that you at least filter them through a biblical understanding it doesn't mean we're always going to get it perfect um but i think it's pretty obvious there's a lot of things that are now culturally completely acceptable that go blatantly obvious what scripture says right and so the church is has has and is losing its influence. And that hasn't always been the case. The church used to have a major impact in the world around us, culturally, and things like that. So something has changed. What, and, and, and our, I, I think some of it, well, there's, there's lots of reasons. Uh, but first we need to kind of set the foundational understanding that God does want us to be involved in our faith to influence everything that we do, right? Not just what we do on Sunday morning, not just what our religion is, right? It influences everything about who we are. And it's important to, to know this and, and understand context. You know, whenever you think about uh, back when the Bible was written, you know, what were they thinking, their view of the world? What was they a Jewish view of the world, and and it, and that's very important because what happened is as uh, the you had the Jewish view of the world, right, and Jews who then became Christian, and they started going into the new world, if you will, not this new world, but the new world to them was Rome and the Greek philosophies and things like that. Greek philosophy about the world around us was very different than a Jewish view. And so now we've kind of been battling that. And I think we've actually kind of slipped back into more of some Greek understanding of, of us and our relationship with God. And we need to, we need to clarify that. So, so let's, let's start one in Deuteronomy. This is a, uh, we've read this uh, passage before. Whenever you go to the lake, you misplace your Bible and you have to find another one very uh, short. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's in a box somewhere, but uh, <laughs> it, it could be on a paddleboard floating at the bottom of the lake. So <laughs> it's all right. Unfortunately, I might need to get a Bible that has bigger letters soon. So... <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that happens. I just, mystery. 
<laughs> the, the senior Bible. I'm not buying the senior Bible. All right. All right. This was this was not in my notes, but the Bible was in my notes. So we will get started. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through nine. This is the Shema. Right. These are the commands, decrees, and a, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees, commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now here's the official Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right, so the Shema is, is, is kind of the foundational understanding of the relationship that the people were to have with God. Right? And it starts off, it says, here. We, we translate that word here. Here, O Israel. So we, we think in our minds, okay, well, just listen to me. Pay, pay attention. Here's, here's what I'm saying. You know, open up your ears. Here's what I, this is what I want you to hear. Actually, that word, and it's, it's funny, and there's actually been a calculation of how many words there are in English versus how many words there are like in Hebrew. It's not even close. There's so many more words in English than Hebrew. So when you have fewer words in a language, the words have broader meaning. Right? And so context is very important. So whenever this is the Shema is saying here, it's actually, it's, it's here, but it's obey. That's the, the main uh, context here is to obey, to hear and obey. So God is not uh, telling the people, hey, just listen to this. And it's really nice for you to think about that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Right? no obey my commands. And if you read right before that, it specifically says that, that you are to obey the command, the laws and the commands that I have given you so that it will go well with your children and your children and children after that. Right? It says you live in a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? So, so it's, it's this word to hear and obey. And one of the big distinctions that, that and we'll talk more about in just, in just a moment with a kind of more Greek philosophy is the Jewish people did not see a difference between the physical and the spiritual. There was, there was, there was no difference. They understood there was a, you know, that God was more spiritual than he wasn't physically present, but that didn't matter. That was just as real and pertinent as anything else. There was no dividing the person into a spiritual person or, or the physical person. Really, even the idea of a soul, sometimes we kind of separate that out. It was, it's all together, right? There was no separation. And so whenever he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, right? That's, 
It's everything that you are. You know, there, you, you can't separate out. You can't say, well, in this area of my life, I'm going to follow God. But in this area of my life, you know, this, this isn't the place for that spiritual stuff. No, that it, it was, it was all one. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not good enough just to hear it and believe it. You have to actually obey it. And there's a, there's a difference with that, isn't there? Right? I mean, you know, my, my children, or whenever I was a kid, I knew and I heard what my parents wanted me to do. And many times I understood what they wanted me to do and probably why they wanted me to do it. Did I always do it? No, I did not. Right? And, and, and many times it's kind of, ah, it's not that big a deal. It's just a learning experience. It was just cleaning the room. It was, you know, whatever. Right? Many times that's the attitude we start to put towards God. We're like, yeah, I know what he says. I agree with what he says. It, it's, it's, that's pretty good. I, I understand, but you know, it's just really hard to do. So, so I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just believe in him and I'll trust that he's going to forgive me and then I'll just you know live life the best way I can. I think God wanted us to be a little more serious than that. I think he wanted us to hear and obey, right? Actually do this. For, for many reasons, the, the most important one, because he just said it, and if the one who created you says you should do it, that's a good reason to do it. But it's because it is what is best for all of us, and it's best for society. If we would actually listen to what he says and obey, put it into practice, the world would be a much better place. And your life would be much better. Now, it doesn't mean that there, you, you wouldn't have to constrain some impulses and, and choose not to do some things. But that, can, that is actually better for us than just doing whatever we want. So the Jewish view, there was no distinction between what is sacred and what is secular. Because everything is seen through a spiritual lens and through a biblical understanding, and you apply it to every area of your life. Now we move another thousand years, right? And Jesus comes. Who, who did Jesus go to, to speak with? Jews, right? I know that's shocking. He probably didn't have blue eyes or real light skin. Right? And he goes and he begins, does this amazing thing, and many Jews do not believe it, but the Jewish, the Jewish Christians start to, to live that out, and now they want to spread that to the world around them. Why? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make believers. He didn't say go and convince people that I existed no, he said, go and make disciples. So he's wanting to continue to, to spread the word by uh, getting people to do the same thing that he had tried to get the Jewish people to do, to hear and obey. Not just believe, but obey. Right? And so the Jews start going and they start 
getting into to towns that have way different philosophies. And one of the things that you see a lot in the New Testament is it's called Gnosticism. Right? Gnosticism basically means knowledge. And that the most important thing was pursuing knowledge. Now, this brought about some wonderful things in the world. Right? We wouldn't be here today without the understanding of reason and, and seeking an understanding of the world around us and philosophy. All of that stuff is important. However, what the, one of the predominant things that were going there is that the, the Gnostics and many of the Greeks, they separated the person out into a, the physical self and the spiritual self. Right? And literally, they believed that the physical was kind of was evil. That, the, that what was good was the spiritual self. And so, and one of the things that Paul really pushed back against is that there were the, a lot of heresies that, one, they denied that Jesus was actually God. Because how could God infiltrate a fleshly, evil, physical body? Right? Like, you can't do that. Right? So they would come up with ideas. They would try to mesh these things. And Paul and then the church later on would reject that completely. But another thing that would happen is they, they would say, well, you know, if, if I believe in Jesus, if I believe in God, that deals with the spiritual part of my life. And so I can get that right. And then you know what? Whatever I do in the flesh, it doesn't really matter because those are separated out. So I can go, I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want, and it doesn't matter because that's that's the flesh. It's evil anyway. And these, and if you think to some of the passages that Paul says, you know, I, I do what I do not want to do, and things like that. He's pushing back against this. In fact, in uh, Romans chapter twelve, uh, verses one and two, he says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, whenever you think about it, in the context of what we've been talking about, that that passage has a little bit different meaning. Like he's he's pleading with the people because there's starting to be things that, oh, it doesn't matter what I do in my body. That's physical. So, you know, if I want to, to believe in God and and be part of the church and then also go to the, the, the local orgy on Friday night, it's okay because that happens in the physical. Right? And and we kind of laugh at that, but that's literally what was going on in some of these places. Okay? And so Paul is saying, no, offer your bodies, all of you, as a living sacrifice. Right? That you give all of it to God, and that that is your holy and pleasing act of worship, is giving your body to God. They're, they were trying to include some very earthly, physical things in worship, you know, right? There was lots of sexual types of things in worship to other gods, and they were kind of moving that into the church, right? And Paul is like, no, no, 
That is not an act of worship. But the reason they were doing it was because they had a different philosophy. They were separating out the physical from the spiritual. A Jewish belief would never allow that. That was not something that they would have ever seen. Now, why do I go into in depth into kind of that foundational understanding? Because I think that's impacting and influencing us today, right? Where we start to view different sections of our life, right? And we break our life down into different areas. And then we can choose, well, do I bring my biblical worldview there or do I not? It's kind of like there's a, you know, uh, whenever you eat a meal with the cheap styrofoam plates, right? There's a, a slide that uh, kind of, it, uh, it's, it's a good way to, to picture it, right? So, you know, you, you have your work and career, your home life, your politics, your religion, and man, we need to keep those things separate. We sure don't want one solid plate because then they may run together and that's gross, right? Who wants to eat food that is all mixed together? We want to keep that stuff separate, right? And, and subtly, I think one of the things that's happened is we kind of view our life like this. Now, it's not wrong to view, understand there are different areas in your life, right? You know, and we, there's some good in this. There should be a separation between like your work and your home. You shouldn't always be working because then you neglect your home life, right? So I understand why we start doing this, but then, if we start putting all these categories, you've got to be careful because shouldn't our faith impact us at work? Yeah. Shouldn't it impact us at home? Of course. Shouldn't it impact us in the way that we think about engaging in our government? You bet it should. Right? This is, this is very important for us to understand the subtle differences, but how easy it is for us to kind of get caught up into this. And then we, we start thinking about things as being sacred or being secular, right? Oh, well, these are things that are just in the, the world. Uh, and then these over here are the, the sacred things. There's a, this next slide kind of breaks, breaks that down. So you've got two little boxes. So your sacred stuff, your church. Now, I stole these slides. I'm gonna, doesn't matter. I was given permission to steal the slides, but it says BSF, that's Bible Study Fellowship. So, so church, you're, you're working at the food bank, you're praying before meals. All of us, we kind of, oh, well, those are the sacred things. That's, that's whenever I'm being spiritual, right? It's whenever I'm doing those things. And then, you know, all of this other stuff, this kind of is just a mix of the, the secular, Right? Career, family, business, politics, hobbies, vacations, habits, wants, sex life, education, entertainment, all of that stuff. Many times we don't, and we don't just immediately start to think, wait, that's part of the spiritual too. <laughs> right? We need to look at those things through a, through a biblical worldview. And the church has not been doing that very well at all has not been encouraging people to make sure we don't compartmentalize our life. That all aspects of our life are geared to hearing and obeying. Right Now, what does that practically 
mean? <laughs> that means that we need to talk about the things that are going on in the world, right? The cultural challenges that we face. One of the, one of the things that we we have been talking about, but uh, we're going to continue is we're going to continue to engage in what's going on in the world around us. And the church has made a a very bad mistake um, by not getting involved with our country, right? not getting involved with the government. You know, if you read in Scripture, you'll see a, a few main institutions that the Scripture talks a lot about. Uh, it talks about the home or the family. That is an institution, right? It talks about the church as an institution. You know what the next one that it talks about a whole lot is civil government. You know, it, it's, it's interesting how sometimes we think that the Bible only speaks to certain areas and certain things in life. No, it actually speaks to all of it. Right? And it speaks to the way that God desires for the, for, for people to experience his goodness. And while the answer is never found in government, like that's never going to fix the problems in the world, right? If you think that, just read history, right? The, the government is never the answer, but it is the biggest obstacle and it is the biggest purveyor of lies and evil throughout history. It is. There is no debating that. And so what you want from a government is to do as little as possible, right? But to, to keep, but to provide for people to a certain degree. There's all of those kind of things that should be minimal. But understanding that governments are controlled by men and women. When I say men, I'm using the universal term. It's created by humans. What does that mean? Humans are flawed. Humans, the very definition of sin is wanting to be God yourself. Well, the worst possible position to put someone who is stuck in sin, so that's any of us, is to give them a position of power where they can be an authority over other people. Right? However, we live in a world that needs some structure. And the Bible talks about that. It goes all the way back to when the people were wandering in the wilderness, right? And God told them, Moses, you can't do all this on, on your own. So choose 12 leaders and they will break things down and they will be representative of this people, this people, this people, right? So we know we have to have some structure there, but we better know how dangerous it is. And the church was instrumental in founding our system of government in the uh, in the 1700s leading up to the declaration all of that many pastors were involved in that the the founders uh, if you read their writing they talked about how they were influenced by pastors influenced by the great awakening right so they set, cr uh, created this system understanding what the danger of what government can do and so they wanted to put these limits on it. And then the, and, and the church was instrumental in that happening. 
And then we did it. And we, we started moving forward as a country and started overcoming things that should have been overcome earlier, but they weren't. But we started dealing with all of that stuff. But we created this system where people were free and people flourished more than in any other country in the history of the world. And then the church started thinking, well, now we don't have to deal with this government stuff. We'll just, we'll just preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, we, we hear things like, oh, well, there should be a separation of church and state. That, that's, that's bull, right? The state needs to keep their nose out of anything the church does, but the church has to influence the state or we go to hell. Like we will crumble and fall because the church was in, instrumental in the foundational building of this country. And so if we, if the church and those biblical principles step out and don't continue to influence it, those foundations all crumble. And we have bought into the lie. And I can remember in seminary talking about separation of church and state and be careful. Don't talk about politics, all this garbage. Well, look where we are now. And if our country does collapse and fall, you know whose fault it is? It's not the leftist and the Marxist. It's pastors and it's Christians. It's our fault. And so we better start changing our perspective a little bit. We better start engaging this a little bit. We need to start having Christians that get involved in their, in their city governments. And that's miserable to do. I understand. But we better start getting involved because it is our fault. And, that, and we need to acknowledge that. It is so important that we recognize that our biblical worldview, God demands that we look through that lens in all areas of our life. He says, hear, obey Israel. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? So every area of our life has to flow through that biblical principle. And we have, we have exempted certain areas. And our government and politics is one of those areas that has been exempted from a faith perspective. We haven't talked about it enough. And now there's too many people who don't even know the basic understanding of how our government came about. Right? And so it's a, it's, it's a tough road. But the church better engage it better get involved. And, and don't believe some of the lies out there that we are supposed to stay out of that. That is, that is not true. That was never intended, and it certainly doesn't help. And you know how many churches have lost their tax-exempt status because they got too political? This many. We all think, oh, don't endorse a candidate. Don't talk about who maybe you should vote for. Don't, don't encourage people to vote because you could lose your tax exemption. Well, bring it on. All right? There's lots of lawyers. There's lots of lawyers who will fight against that. Right? It's ridiculous. And we can't be timid anymore because the stakes are too high. Yes. 
Things are changing rapidly. Did you know that the, the, the estimates are that half of people who call themselves evangelical Christians either aren't registered to vote or don't vote? Half. That comes out roughly to 30 million people who say that they are Christians but don't get engaged in the government that can literally shut down their church. We saw that, which should have never have been able to happen, and we just let it happen. You, you think that, that, that that would be the only reason that governments would feel like it'd be a good idea to shut down churches? No. no. And over half or around half of evangelical Christians don't care enough to even engage. It's our fault if it crumbles. But you know what? There's, there's always time. There's been spiritual awakenings, and that's what we need. It's not just about everybody just get out and vote and everything will be fine. No, we need a spiritual awakening because government is not the answer, but government is the enemy. Ooh, that could be cut and taken out of context really well. <laughs> but the role and the goals of government do not match the roles of a biblical worldview. And so we need to impart our biblical worldview into our government because that's how it was actually set up to work. And we need to be willing to do that. And we're going to do that. And it'll be fun and it'll be terrifying and there'll be a lot of people who get really upset. But we have to stand up for what God has called us to stand up for and to push back against the darkness in this world and to be bold in doing it. This is what God has called us to do. He's called us to stand up, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. I don't know about you, but being a sacrifice isn't always the most comfortable thing to be. But he's called us to do that. And he will give us the strength and the wisdom to move forward. Let's go to him in prayer.